the show involves you going to restaurants all around the world. I watched about four episodes of it. Um, eating one bite of giant foods <laughs> and then sharing It's like, them. we call that a, like a reveal bite. <laughs> yeah. So people are just like, oh, this guy. And then what we do is we take the rest and we throw it in the trash. But yeah. <laughs> we do it in front of a crowd of homeless children <laughs> and make them, what we hold them at gunpoint, we make them watch us throw the food away. Well, it's good because no. it gives them motivation. <laughs> it does. It is. It is. It's, it's really to help them pursue their dreams. <laughs> Shut up and sit down. Hey, we're we're back. Welcome we're to the back. podcast. Woo. Yeah, yeah, we've we're, got. We're here with our first actual successful person. I ever. don't know about that. <laughs> Give it a minute. <laughs> Josh has actually been a previous guest of this podcast. He's oh, the, very early. The yeah, very in the pre-Isaac days. Yeah. Pre-Isaac, the last episode before Isaac. Uh, appeared. Oh, well, if I knew that, I would have never came back. <laughs> I would have just held on to that legacy. Yeah. Uh, Josh is a comedian and the host of the Food Network show Ginormous Food. Yes. And uh, also has very kindly uh, had me hosting his Darkest Hour comedy show every month in Santa Monica. Yes. Uh, been a very nice comedian to me also. So, cheers. I don't think the bar is set very high for that, though, in our in our field. No, it's not. Of comedians, of just, like, people that are douchebags. There's there's plenty of those. Yeah, it's not hard to be nice. It's, uh, it's I agree. Crazy. But it's, you would think it's, it's like pulling teeth with some of these guys. Yeah, certainly. So once you get in this comedy, like, level that you're at, are you basically... Like, have you now, like, gotten tenure track? You know, like, are you kind of, from here on out, you'll be able to get a job doing anything? Or is it kind of like, this is your shot, and if you don't make it, you're fucked? Well, I feel like it's the second. I think you have to treat it that way. Like, I treat it like, if this doesn't work out, there'll never be another payday in my entire career. Everybody around me whose money depends on my success tells me the former is true the oh yeah you'll be able to do anything from here on out but i don't i don't feel that way i kind of attack it with a sense of urgency like i did a hallmark press on friday for the home and family show that airs tomorrow monday this will be out long after that i'm sure but um i immediately left there not feeling good about that i was like i need to be doing stuff like this every day so that people are watching the show and that we're building a fan base so it's impossible for me to ever feel like like I've made it. I'm here. There's a funny picture where you're sitting on the couch of that studio, and behind you is the TV with you like eating this gigantic sandwich. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, is that a surreal experience to be sitting in a room with these Hallmark people looking at you eat? Like a, it might be weird to watch it. Like yeah. the, the whole thing, everyone goes like, oh, isn't it surreal seeing yourself on TV? Like none of that is really settled into the point of. Because, like, ever, so many people have been on TV. Like, right. dudes that just did open mics in Minneapolis when I started there have been on Last Comic Standing and gotten pretty far. And then nothing happens in their career after that. Like, they get a manager, they have a manager for a year, they work the road, they do nothing else, the manager drops them, and then they're just another dude who lives in Minnesota who was on TV one time. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever feel. Like, oh, yeah, no, look, that's me. I'm famous. Like, I just don't, it doesn't settle in at all. And people message me, like, I got an email from my fifth grade teacher who was like, I always knew you were special. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's nice. But it's like, I don't feel that way. And maybe it's because I still live in a shitty two bedroom apartment in the valley. Like, maybe someday I'll be sitting in a pool in in the back of a $7 million house. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is it. But. Well, I don't know. Since you were kind of coming from nothing beforehand, did, and they're saying, hey, we're giving you a show, does that mean they can pay you shit? 
Well, they can. <laughs> a lot of people in my case do get paid shit, but uh, coming from nothing and is a little bit different. I feel like I had the benefit of, of working jobs and in career paths similar to both you and Charles, where I worked in corporate America and made really good money. I was part of a company that went public in 2006 and, you know, at one point was worth about a million bucks in stock options. So for me, like I, I have a pretty fair perspective of like what a real amount of money is and you know, I'm getting paid pretty well when you consider the amount of work in terms of time that I put into the show. I get paid well. But yeah, it's not. We're, we're probably years away from life changing money. Yeah. Well, then why do you still live in a shitty place in the valley? Because uh, I like to put money in the bank. Ah, uh, yes. You seem very <laughs> responsible. Well, you got to well, be. You can't, you know, when you for unlike Isaac, who you can't, buys a uh, fucking Lexus convertible. Did you buy a Lexus? <laughs> was it the hard top? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. IC2? Oh, no, 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 no. no. It's the, it's the uh, SC430. The old okay. One. Beautiful car. Yeah. Best car I've ever driven. It's 15 years old. I mean, it wasn't that dumb. But, but I still bought it. <laughs> I was looking at those back when they were new, and I was like, I should, it was right when I moved to California, and I was like, I should get one of these hardtop convertibles. And I was just like, mm, maybe not. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's well, and I kind of went through what I would call Brewster's Millions time in my life when I was younger. So when I was working for that company, this was 2006, so 11 years ago, I was working for Croc Shoes. And I was one of the first retail guys brought in. So I was given a pretty good chunk of stock oh, wow. to help build the retail division. And about a year later, when I could exercise 25% yeah. of my options, it was worth about a million bucks. And so you I pulled that? out 25. And you got the million? No, no, no. I pulled out my 25%. Oh. And, you know, after taxes and stuff, I had about six figures. I, I went out and bought a car. I was 23. I went out and bought a car cash. 40 grand took a chick to Vegas that I barely knew spent like 15 grand. I mean, I was retarded with my money and, uh, and yeah, so that was like, to me, that was that moment you have when you're in your twenties where you go, yeah, I've spent $120,000 in nine months. So that's not a lot of money. And so now in this experience of going through the show, I'm like, you know, looking at my show money and then calling my agent going, all right, what else are we doing? Cause this is not, yeah, this doesn't even fill the year. I mean, uh, everything. I, I I really like the hosting thing. I mean, it's not what I originally intended to do when I got into comedy, but it's been fun. And it's it's kind of cool because you can be this. You're still yourself, but you're not kind of like a cheap reality star. Um, but you're also not playing a character, you know, and I think the tough thing is like you look at a guy like Tracy Morgan. People loved his character on 30 Rock, but he's stuck. And then they would come out to. <laughs> see him do comedy and he's like walking the audience because they're just like you know this isn't the guy this we like on 30 Rock. yeah yeah so those, it's, yeah, it those. can be a little misleading but but it, your character so okay let's just tell people in case they haven't seen the show the show involves you going to restaurants all around the world i watched about four episodes of it um eating one bite of giant foods <laughs> And then it's like them. we call that a, like a reveal <laughs> bite. So people are just like, oh, this guy. And then what we do is we take the rest and we throw it in the trash. But yeah. <laughs> we do it in front of a crowd of homeless children <laughs> and make them what we hold them at gunpoint. We make them watch us throw the food away. Well, it's good because it <laughs> gives them motivation. <laughs> it does. It is. It is. It's, it's really to help them pursue their dreams. <laughs> this is what people on the Internet would have you believe the show is. No, we 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 go into the show. Uh, we, what we sit down, we do the big reveal, the big bite, because it's kind of comical seeing somebody try to eat yeah. these ridiculously large things. But then we we whack it up into small pieces and we take it around and we feed the whole restaurant with it and get their feedback. Well, and, but the weird thing is, you always say in that moment, "Can we make another one?" Well, sometimes we do make another one. Okay, and, and sometimes we remake the one that I destroyed. It really depends. Like we have a culinary producer on the show. She's she's like the superstar of the show that nobody will know about, and her name's Chanel. But her job is to make sure the stuff looks camera ready. So when you see all those uptight beauty shots, she preps all that food. And then, so for instance, like with the big 14-pound bagel, when I bit into that, it fell all over the tray. So she actually took all the ingredients, went back into the kitchen with gloves on, by the way, for the people who freak out about that, (laughs) um, rebuilt a bagel with new bagel, and then sliced that up. Oh, and okay. repurposed I it. See. And put, gave it, gave it to uh, yeah. yeah. So we actually used we. I think we made three that whole day. And any of the food that like doesn't get eaten on camera either gets eaten by the crew or sent home with people. So like, 
you know, people in the restaurant will be hanging out and they'll be like, oh, we missed the part where you're filming OTFs. Like, well, what was the, can we have? And we'll just give it to people. Yeah. So we basically feed the whole neighborhood when we're in town. For sure. An episode. Well, what I also love is the transparent nature of, you know, with your bite companion, you kind of walk people through everything that's happening and you're really, truly transparent about what's going on, which is fascinating to listen to that having seen the show. Yeah. So I would highly Good recommend Good to know because I, I feel like sometimes if I, when I do them, nobody's, nobody's listening. Well, I wouldn't like, I have listened like to this. it if I didn't, it wasn't preparing for this. But right. now that I have listened to it, I'll listen to it again because it was very interesting to see you be so transparent about it. I mean, like, oh, we shot this 17 times. We shot this walk and talk a million times. It's oh, yeah. totally not what it seems, you know? Well, and sometimes people are just like, I do that. Maybe I do that a little bit out of guilt because people are like, you just show up and eat this food and they point a camera at you and you get millions yeah. of dollars. Like, that's what people think it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, But it's not that. And no. it's like, yeah, there's 12 hour days. Like every day is a 12 hour shoot day. Yeah. And there's, we probably throw away nine and a half hours of stuff entirely that we just don't even use. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like for the Nashville episode, I shot this whole blues brothers reenactment thing <laughs> bit that I thought was hilarious and it was too meta. And they were just like, nah, we're, we're just going to ax that whole thing. Well, that was two hours of the day that <laughs> yeah. I, I made the crew set that up and yep. shoot it. And we shot it from like three angles. Cause we're only two cameras. So if it's not a thing where we can cross shoot, then we have to set it up and do it two times from each angle to get all the shots. So yeah, there's, there's like all kinds of stuff that people will never see. And hopefully with the next round of episodes, we can kind of, I want to tear the fourth wall down a little bit more and yeah. make it even more transparent where you see some of the interaction with me and the director and some of that other stuff where, to make our show a little different than triple D or man versus food yeah. or some of the ones that came before us. But in these first seven episodes of any new show, like. You're really just trying to show the network. It's, we can yeah. do what you know you like. Exactly. Yeah. It's proof of concept. Right. It's like we can do what you need. And what you want. You can One of my it. favorite yeah. things about watching your experience with this has been, and Isaac and I talk about this all the time, but just this Facebook controversy that develops pretty much over anything. Anything. And, and seeing the controversial uh, developments around your show where people are accusing you of uh, wasting food and, and or then there's, there's now there's this also this contingency of people that think I'm a pussy for not doing eating competitions yeah. on oh, the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, you can't win on either side of it. I'm either throwing food in the trash or I'm a pussy for not eating everything that's put in front of me. <laughs> I love just, Facebook comments with your video clips. Yeah. Oh, Isaac, I haven't seen. No, I haven't been able to access. Oh, just you're, go. You're actually somewhat inaccessible. Not this on, is something I wanted to bring to your attention. Okay. Like I have multiple times tried to like get at you and I've always felt oh, really? it kind of hard. Yeah. Well, I, I recently changed because one of the things that's annoying, I'm going to put this down because I'm sure the mics are picking me clicking this yeah, pen up. So good. Um, one of the things that I did recently, and Charles can probably attest to this, is when you're a comedian, there's like this snowball effect as you become if you as you become Facebook friends with more comics, you pop up on the radar of other comics. And having a TV show compounds that. So like there's people from New York that are in the New York comedy scene that are like adding me, messaging me on my personal profile, and I'm just like, dude, I'm not. So I just shut that down to where only people that can see that profile are friends of people I'm already friends with, which are comics or mutual friends. Okay. And then I'm trying to route everything through my page. So, so that probably page. makes so it I'm difficult. So I'm probably on your page and not yeah. your personal. But yeah, if, so but I because we're it. friends, you can find my page and you can add and then you'll really? have access. Yeah. Well, most of the, yeah. and the, and the controversy is mainly happening on the food network and it's so all on I, their yeah, pages. Yeah, okay. So Which if you I go, if you go in and you look at any clip from that show, you just scroll down a little bit and it's just people being outraged over nothing. Just wow, mad to be mad. I mean, it ranges from like, is this gluttonous and wasteful to choke on it and die? You fat pig. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And it's just like, these are people you click on their profiles and it's like a cross and like Psalms, you know, verses, and you're just like, this person is the fucking devil. Yeah. Well, I like when you said in your podcast, like, yeah, I'm on a show eating ginormous food. I'm big. Like, what a fucking shock. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, the thing. Well, and this is the thing I love too is that it is virtue signaling. Yeah. It's such, oh, but it is fat shaming disguised <laughs> yeah, as virtue signaling. So, it really, what it is, is fuck this fat guy yeah. for having a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I'm going to, instead of saying that, which is what I really want to say, I'm going to say how wrong it is to have a show it, like this. Like this, yeah. Which and, is all virtue signaling is ultimately. Absolutely. That. And, yeah. and that's, that's going to be a big part of what the special that I was working on before this show came along. That's going to be a big part of what it becomes of just how full of shit people are. Because I, for the last two years, have listened to, you know, female comics and let like super liberal comics talk about how Hollywood has this unfair expectation of beauty oh, and health yeah, standards. Yeah, yeah. And then you put a normal redheaded guy on television and people are like, are well, what the fuck, fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, isn't yeah. the Hollywood we agreed <laughs> yeah, upon. Yeah, yeah. Why isn't he rippling six packs? Yeah, I want Chris Hemsworth yeah, yeah, doing yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and he's just yeah, like, yeah. no, that's, that's unbelievable. That would be science fiction. Yeah. Yeah. I will say you're actually skinnier, much skinnier in person. Yeah, the camera adds like 50, 60 pounds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really does. Like I watch the show. It's pretty bad when your father who's been obese your whole life goes like yo man you're getting a little out of control and i'm like dude i weigh the same as i did when i saw you it just looks fatter on television yeah, yeah. no you don't look at all like uh you just look like a big guy yeah whereas on tv it does kind of it looks like my, yeah. yeah my i always say my buttons are the hardest working things on that show but yeah your wardrobe is it do they dress you well they they have to approve it but i pick all my own stuff okay and it, I, I promise you. Well, I will say this. It fit better episode one than it did episode six. <laughs> of course. So, like, I've been eating keto and trying to drop weight between now and the next time. But I told our producer, I was like, I've, listen, whoever our field producer is this time has got to be a, a drill sergeant at getting me to the gym every day before we wrap the day. Yeah, because yeah. I, if, if it's up to me, I usually wrap before the rest of the crew. So I'm like, I'll just go back and I'll take a little nap and then I'll go to dinner with everybody. Uh, yeah, and yeah. then I end up sleeping through the whole night and waking up the next day to film at like four in the morning. So, yeah. yeah. What the hell is keto? Uh, no carb, no sugar. Yeah. Wow. What do you look Ketogenics. Ketogenics. Isaac yeah, looked over at me like I had. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> it's all semen. No, <laughs> it's just I just pure semen I just, diet. I just drink that purely. It's full, full protein. Horse <laughs> semen. Horse semen. Yes. Yeah, I can't do human. It's too controversial. It's still, in, that's still in clinical trials. <laughs> at the West Hollywood Center for Research. <laughs> pure AIDS horse semen. Actually. Yeah. Um, it's got to be aged. It's got to be dry aged. It's dry. If, it's, if it's if it's and then you rehydrate it back to a drinkable level. It's <laughs> it's a very medical thing. I can't get into it. <laughs> aged AIDS. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. So one more question before we. I don't know. I, we can talk about this for as long as we fucking want. Sure. But. Uh, so your character, I, you know, I know you're saying you're not doing a character, but oh, I'm absolutely person, doing a character. Okay. Yeah, your character on the show. What I kind of did. I don't about talk it. like that in real life. I if people know, like, hey, everybody. Yeah. You got to do it. You got to do it. Yeah. Is that, was that a direction of the production? Because you do talk in this very high energy way. Yeah. That, yeah. That's some quarters of the internet have mocked. Well, yeah. And then, and rightfully so. Like yeah. you're playing a, you're playing an excitable guy. And this is the thing, like our, our originally our show was designed for food network and our producer, a guy named Neil Regan, uh, Everybody, by the way, who wants to pitch a show to travel channels, you're going to start Googling that name. But uh, Neil was like, you don't really know your show until you're seven, eight episodes in. And that's absolutely true. Like, I feel like the Cincinnati episode um, is like, this is the kind of the, the crest, okay. right? Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the crest of the wave. Like, this is where we want it to be. But along the way, you're, you're there's a there's this this uh, give and take this sort of tug of war of we want to deliver what they know they like, but I'm also trying to do my own thing. So I think naturally you're going to see the comparisons just by what the show is like, Oh, he's trying to be Guy Fieri or he's trying to be Adam Richmond. But like if, when I was talking in my regular voice in the first thing we shot, it was too much like, Hey everybody. And they were just like, Oh no, he sounds like a porno DJ yeah. or, some <laughs> shit, or like a strip club yeah, guy. Yeah. So yes. it's really about just trying to find that right thing. But I think you'll, I think as the show moves on, if we're lucky enough and we keep doing more episodes, I think that over excited side of me will be pulled a little bit more back down to reality. Sure. And you're finding who you are. I guess my question though is, you know, you're a comedian who has something to say. You have a darkest hour thing. You know, I know who you are. I've heard you on podcasts. Mm -hmm. I know you, you are doing this because you have something to say to the world really. I mean, I guess maybe I'm wrong, but that's how, what I sort of gather. <clears throat> 
What I dig about your character on the show is that you do have an innate ability to kind of, despite doing all this G-rated shit, you're kind of, you can tell that you're... There's a little vitriol There's a little there. vitriol in yeah. there. And sometimes you sneak it in. Yeah. You well, know? I sneak it in a lot, yeah, but yeah. the editing prevents you from seeing from all really of it. From really doing it. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. share this funny story. So we're now show run by a guy named Steven Lerner. And it's this weird situation because Steven is an executive for Scripps, which is the parent company over all of the networks. And he's kind of gotten the reputation of being like the show whisperer where he's the guy, like he's one of the guys that basically built HGTV to a top 10 network. And people don't realize, but like HGTV is watched second only to network television. Oh my it's God. the biggest network. It's the That's biggest amazing. cable network on television. That's crazy. And Jeez. he and Kathleen, who were kind of responsible for developing all those hit shows for HGTV, in essence, got bumped up to run the entire company. So Kathleen Finch is now like president of programming. Steven is SVP. So when we were developing the show for travel, Steven saw it, gave a couple notes. I took his notes right away for the speech thing. So I used to talk like really guttural and, it, and he was like, it's a little too rough. Have him bring his register up. And then we did it right away. And he's like, oh, I like that this guy is moldable and that he like takes uh -huh. the direction yeah, well yeah, yeah, and yeah, we yeah. can really develop this thing. So he ended up just commandeering our show from travel. Kathleen decided it was too good to put on travel because the numbers are about a third of what Food Network is. Oh, really? Is. Oh, wow. So she was like, I think this can be a hit show on Food Network. And then Steven is show running us. So it's kind of weird uh, in a way. I'm like the redheaded stepchild on the network because nobody at Food Network picked this show. It was like it their bosses going, this is your new show. Oh, okay. And so we've kind of had to bring them along and make them fans just like all the viewers. But... um we were filming in Philly and Steven just show, came in that day and uh, he could kind of sense that with me. He was like, yeah, man, this, this kid was like a young kid in the sandwich place, Jake's sandwich board. And he was like super nervous. And he, I would ask him facts and he would be like, I think it's. And so Steven goes, Hey man, when he's unsure, give him a little shit, like fuck with him a little bit. And I go, Okay. So yeah, then I just totally turned into myself and we're like two takes later, Stephen comes over. He's like, Jesus, man, tone it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I got a son, his age, I got kids, his age. Like you're killing the kids. Yeah. So it was one of those things of like, yeah, there is this sort of, there's a balancing act of how much can we put in that still keeps me being likable. Yeah. And that's the thing of like, I have very controversial ideas and sometimes I'll have controversial things I'll put into comedy just to fuck with people. But I have to build a rapport with the audience. And that's what you're doing. Before right? that happens in that's a show. And that same thing has to happen with the TV show. Like, I can't just come out and go, look at these fat fucks, everybody. Like, yeah. <laughs> then they'll just hate you right out of the gate. No. So then that's kind of what this... That, I mean, you basically answered the question I had. Is this show is you kind of showing, hey, I can play ball. Yeah. And then as time goes on, you'll say, no, no, this is what I want to say. Well, you there's know? a time and a place, too. Like, you don't get yeah. to pick who your audience is. Yeah. For stand-up, I can. I can say, look, this is the kind of comedy... I do if you don't like it don't come don't come here. to the show yeah. but with this kind of thing when a network says we like you and we're going to put you in front of 13 million people in yeah. the next three months um, you have to go okay cool so what do they like yeah. and how do I do and can I do that and so to me like acting as this character who's kind of like a an excited younger childlike version of myself is no different than acting in a role where you play somebody you're not on the other end of the spectrum well but being a comedian is different than being an actor Right. I mean, being an actor, you're always going to be somebody oh, else's mouthpiece. Isaac has opinions right? about okay. comedy. You're always going to be somebody else's mouthpiece, whereas comedians are... Well, I guess that depends on the project, right? Like, if you're acting in something you created, then it's no different than comedy okay, sure, because sure. it's your own narrative. Yeah. It really depends on who controls the narrative. And this is a thing where it's not like a strict narrative where they go, you can only do this because they let me do whatever I want to do. They just don't edit it into the yeah, episodes. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things where over time, you know, as the show becomes more successful, and, and I always said this in corporate America, you've got to earn your way into the room. You can't be the new guy on the block. I was always the youngest executive. I was like 23. I was managing 40 stores. I don't just walk into a room with guys that have been doing this job for 30 years and go, you know what you guys should fucking it do. This, yeah. You just have to be successful. And then when people come to you and go, 
hey, like you've had really good ideas that obviously work. What do you think we should do? Then is when you go, well, here's what I would change. And here's what I think is working. And here's what I think isn't working. Yeah. yeah. But you get a lot further when you're invited to share those ideas than when you force them down people's throat prematurely. And that's where people in Hollywood go wrong because they get a show and they go, let me fucking tell you how TV works. And they go, no kid. Yeah. Like we'll tell you how TV works. You know, we're going to, you're going to have to play the game. Did you ever see the documentary about the guy who made boondock saints? Oh yeah. No, I overnight. It's good. good. And he's this guy who is totally uncompromising and he gets to deal with Weinstein and and he's His also asshole. uncompromising. Yeah, and, and this guy, Weinstein literally sends a car to fucking run him over in the streets. Like, this happens in the actual documentary. Wow. This is why it's so hard to see. You have to download it, like, illegally, because it's got totally buried. It used to be on Netflix. What are you talking about? Overnight? <laughs> well, then Weinstein does literally send a car to run the guy over. That's in the not even established. Movie. Isaac is over. It's a very good documentary. It's a great documentary. It, was, it, had, a, it had a regular release. No, look. You're acting like it's some underground <laughs> thing. <laughs> well, that makes me like it more. So he's, he's marketing <laughs> yes, it properly. Yeah, you know, oh, it's, it's, it's I'm going to be style. like this, watching it on YouTube in the car. <laughs> it's on the way you home. watch a man destroy his career. Destroy his yeah. career. Of the film, yeah. And it's yeah, fantastic. There, there was something else. Oh, God. I was just talking about this with someone the other day. But I felt like that watching the comedian documentary jerry seinfeld watching orny adams of like this is just a guy who's dry fucking his way into interacting with everybody and he doesn't have any self-awareness to realize how he's coming off yeah and i I was talking to somebody about him recently and it sounds like he hasn't changed like he's 20 something years into a career of mediocrity and he still thinks he's got the whole thing figured out um all right so in the name of disagreeing you are a libertarian I believe you voted for Gary Johnson. I, I did. also believe. I mean, I don't really give a fuck. No, I voted for just Gary Johnson. But here's my socialist argument. I feel like libertarians take this view that we're living in a totally vacuum. Like we're basically living in the state of nature. Like we're living in the jungle where we're all disconnected and we it seems like we're kind of together, but really we're like basically on our own and you should be free to do your own shit, right? Mm-hmm. And I admit, I think that way a lot myself. And I hate, like socially, I'm a total libertarian. Like I'm like, do whatever the fuck you want. Don't mm-hmm. let anybody bother you. You That's know, speech, etc. Economically, however, I feel like the idea that we're that separate economically is just really not the case. Like, it's kind of like, you can work really hard, and yes, you can get to certain places. But we also need the people to make the fucking sidewalk. Like, we need the people oh, yeah. to make the shit. Yeah, one of And the- those people gotta get, they have to get compensated fairly for doing those bullshit jobs. And we shouldn't just be like, okay, loser, you're a fucking loser, you're a garbage man, fuck you. Yeah, I mean... Look, I'm not an economist by any means. I can't say what percentage of the pot should go to the guy who makes the sidewalks. But I will say that I think we can agree that the guy who decides how many sidewalks there should be is far more important than the guy who makes them. I don't know if I do agree with that. No? But don't you think... What if there's just people out there fucking just putting sidewalks wherever in the middle of the street and they don't know better? That I just make sidewalks. That's what I do. I pour them, and I'm just gonna. I get paid by the sidewalk, so I just I'm gonna pour as many as I can, so I get the most money. Well, but the guy without the guy making the sidewalk, you can't have any of the sidewalks. Well, who's to say the guy who designs them and figures out where they go can't also build them? He can't do them by himself. Okay, Wait, you guys are talking about two different things. Like your art. Because Josh is talking about whether or not who's who's creating the demand for sidewalks. Is the market creating the demand? No, no, I'm not talking about that. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the the person, like obviously the person who administrates how many sidewalks there should be. That's what I mean. Okay, yeah. Because you're talking about whether the market is demanding more sidewalks or the government is saying this many sidewalks need to be made. That's what he's which is also a separate issue. But I get yeah, I get where you're going. Yeah, that's that's what the differentiation is. But yeah, I guess my just on a base level of the sidewalk analogy, you can't just have the guy who makes sidewalks putting them wherever he wants because he's going to that's his idea of how to make more money. Some of the reason the economy needs to be that way is because the people who make sidewalks aren't smart enough to know when to stop. And so if we gave them all the money and unlimited resources and said, make sidewalks until your fucking heart 
explodes, there would be sidewalks everywhere. Yeah, but the guy who's smart enough to tell them what the, what to do also isn't whatever the fuck you need to be enough to be the guy making the sidewalks. You don't want to make the sidewalks. I well, don't want to make the fucking but, sidewalks. But, but so I, I get, not getting into the semantics of that, It's to me, it's more about saying, this is the total amount of money we have. What What is more important in the process? Making sure there's the right amount or that they're done perfectly? And you would say, well, I think they're equally important. But the reality is, is um, when you're looking at the whole pool of money, like if you open a business, you could go, okay, for me to make money, my labor needs to be this percentage of what I make or else I don't make enough money to expand my business. And so what I'll, I, the, the simplest thing I say about wage and minimum wage is... What's better for people? One person making $16 an hour or two people making $8 an hour? What's better for the people? Because in one scenario, half of them make 16 and the other half make nothing or everybody makes eight. So I would say a lower minimum wage is actually more socialist than it is capitalistic. Okay, I mean, I guess I kind of get that argument. I mean, I think you're you're conducting that thought experiment in a complete vacuum, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. There's 50 people. <laughs> yeah, but 25 again, can make 16 an hour, or all 50 can make eight. Now, what's better economically? That half starve and that half have more, or that everybody has less? Because well, totally what I would argue totally with depends. what I would argue with socialists is that would tell you that fixing the economy should happen at the bottom and not at the top. It doesn't mean that the rich just give half of it away. It means that we have to stop raising the floor to the point where we have to eliminate people. Like everyone can't make sixteen dollars an hour and everyone makes the same money together as they did when everyone made eight. Because now. You're just saying, okay, well, we just charge more so that everyone can make more, but that's a never-ending cycle. Sure, but is what you really okay? I mean, I get the the moral grounding of your now argument, the, the but, um, but, but is what you really want to become Mexico to become fucking Kenya, where the people on the top have ninety million percent of the wealth and everybody else has fucking. But if nothing? you but like, if you, you listen, to be like but if that. you, you listen to people, substantial middle class. Isn't that America though? Isn't that what people believe America's become? Where well, we have ninety heading per- there. I don't know about that. I don't know about that, but I don't think the solution is to say to the people at the top. I think what you do is you have to incentivize someone to create two jobs at $8 an hour where they otherwise would create one at 16. Well, so how do you do that? By making sure that a percentage of profits goes into business growth and, and Mm -hmm. by creating a tax code where you say, if you create two businesses, I will tax you half as much as a, as a percentage of revenue as I would if you had one business. So you're just saying like less <clears throat> taxes on the less corporate taxes, less taxes on entrepreneurs, on entrepreneurs. but, but theoretically less taxes on the rich. Yeah. I mean, I, I but th- there's a difference between productive rich people who are creating jobs yeah. and rich people who get paid a lot of money because what they do is considered prestigious or, so or we can't just broad brush inherited a shit ton of money. Sure. Most rich people I know inherited a lot of money, but, from but the then you would have no businesses, right? Technically. So you should be taxed the most. So rich people who don't, don't churn economy out yeah. of their money should be taxed the most. Okay, agreed. But rich people who take their money and turn it into opportunities for Fine. people should be taxed the least. Okay, well, I will accept that. Right. But are you ready to fucking implement that? How the hell do you Absolutely. implement that? Absolutely. How do you implement that? Well, you're incentivizing, you're incentivizing uh, industry. You're incentivizing you're production. Saying, so you're yeah, saying sure, don't sit great. on your money. The best way to keep your money is, is to, to do something with it. Absolutely. Well, I, to do I agree something with that. With but it. how the give fuck are back. you going to legislate? How the fuck can you legislate what you just, just said? Just with a tax Saying code. if you don't do anything, you got to pay a shit ton. And well, you, you do, do it. You do it based on the number of employees that an enterprise has. So if I am Josh Denny Corporation and the money I make If I have 10 employees, this is how much I get taxed. If I have 100 employees, I get taxed less. If I have 2,000 employees, I get taxed less. The biggest companies, so people hate this because right off the top, they go, well, then Walmart will pay the least amount of tax. Right. And they'll open 10 new stores every year more than they do now. But if those people are getting paid so little that they can't even afford the products that Walmart sells, what's the fucking point? Then we're just creating massive No, but but you're you're talking about there's, there's an ecosystem inside of that economic structure. 
More businesses, more boxes mean more management positions, mean more opportunity, more, mean more things grow. Trickle down works if the people making $8 an hour are 16-year-olds without dependents. Yeah, sure, sure. I right? get that. But and the problem right. is 16-year-olds don't work because their parents told them, don't get a job, go to college, and there'll be a $100,000 yeah. job waiting for you when you graduate. I, which is bullshit. And I, I, look, I'm with you, man. And I think we want the same thing, which is a substantial middle. And you're, we're just approaching it in slightly different ways. Yeah. I just feel like the thing that you're asking asking for, which is this sort of like bifurcated tax system where some rich people are getting taxed the most and some rich people are getting taxed the least. It's not all that practical. Well, forget about rich, poor. Think about it as productive and unproductive. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Productive people should absolutely. And that includes poor people. Sure. You know, you know, poor, like people on welfare should get taxed or have the least, whereas people who are actually working should not, you but know? Is, is that a libertarian position, really? The I don't tax know. tax system that you're talking about. I don't know. Seems... I mean, I've heard some libertarian candidates speak that way, like uh, McAfee believes hard in that, but that's also something that John Huckabee, or Mike, Mike Huckabee? Huckabee. John Huckabee, I think, is from <laughs> I Heart Huckabee's. Mike Huckabee wanted that, too, which was a sort of like a... Um, uh, consumption tax, essentially that says the more you make, the more you consume, the higher percentage you pay if you buy luxury items versus standard yeah, items. That's, I love that. You I know, that. So, so you could do both. You could have a corporate tax structure that, that encourages job creation. The problem is the left wants the floor to rise faster than the ceiling. Well, and but that a consumption ma- that means tax is completely social. But, yeah, but a consumption tax is saying those who have the most pay more taxes if they buy things that rich people do. The other thing I like about a consumption tax is it's the American dream. If I want to tuck my acorns away in a tree, I don't have to pay taxes on them. But if I'm out there fucking around and buying $40,000 yeah, yeah, cars, yeah. I pay huge taxes. Yeah, no, and I'm with that, but that's a socialist position that you're but, talking But the problem is, uh, the problem with that is that um, rich people don't want to pay more for their things. Like, we get into the well, same I'd thing. Well, I'd be with- for a flat tax completely if it was fucking enforced. The problem is rich people have very expensive lawyers who know how to let them not pay the taxes. Oh, sure. Pay, oh, you know? Yeah, I hired a tax attorney in, at 26 years old, and my life's been great ever since. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I, I, and, but, but that was always my argument about raising taxes on the rich. It's like, well, whatever the tax code says and They're what they pay are always two out, completely yeah. different things. Yeah, no. Those people are always smart enough to build loopholes in the law. That Do you say, feel like if there was a more fat, fair tax code towards rich people, you would pay your share more? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but but yeah, I would be but I'm the kind of guy with my background that if if it was be an actor or a television personality and pay 40% or be a CEO of a company and pay 10, you better believe I'm going to start a fucking company and I'm going to hire some people and I'm going to do something with that money. Because, you know, that's when that is a situation that truly is win-win. I get to keep more of my money but I also create money for other people. Yeah. The problem yeah. with trickle down is if there's no oversight, then what happens when the, when the faucet runs out? Well, and that's what's happening, right? I mean, the thing is, and that's the danger of libertarianism is that, yeah, fucking Kenya is libertarian as far as regulations go. And what happens is you get a completely destitute, fucked up economy because you have three kings who have all the fucking money and everybody right. else is totally shit. Right. You know? But but inevitably though, and the other, the, the real libertarian view is that eventually the number of people that, that are being starved and everything else will outweigh the king and his army and everyone else him. and they'll kill him. Yeah. So that's like the real extreme end of libertarianism yeah, yeah. of that. Like eventually they'll just charge and take it. They'll yeah. just steal it because hasn't that's that happened. happened though? I mean, isn't that where we are now? Isn't our system now a result of that happening over and over again throughout history? Well, it's so interesting when you look at like, so why is there crime? It's, and there's always economic disparity involved if, with crime, right? Black markets exist because those people have other don't have the means to make money other ways. And they see an opportunity to make money in a way that not everybody's willing to do. So there's a degree of risk involved. And so that's where that that business comes along. I have a pretty crackpot theory on how to fix the United States economy, immigration, everything all in one. And, and people people think this is nuts. Kill the blacks. Uh, yes. No. <laughs> Only the bad ones. You can't kill them all. Like, oh, shit. We, got, we need Oprah. Or else the guilt will overcome us. No. Um, no, this is a, this is a crazy theory and, uh, everyone I've talked to, like they try to shoot holes in it and then we get to a point in the argument where they can't, I would legalize all narcotics and I would make Mexico the number one industrial powerhouse of narcotics. And I would make El Chapo a CEO and not a criminal. 
And I would tell Mexico, listen, we're going to create 30 million jobs of marijuana production, heroin production, cocaine production in your country. So guess who's guess what's going to happen with all the people in that workforce class that live in the United States, not just Mexican, but white, too. Just like everybody ran to North Dakota for the oil jobs, mm-hmm. they will flock to Mexico for those factory jobs. Yeah for marijuana production. So now you truly have an ecosystem of an economy where you have the poor creating expensive products for the rich to consume. And those people have jobs and they have a tax structure that makes sense for them based on what they make. You have a thriving economy. But basically what you're doing is you're taking Mexico and the United States and you are separating them into two nations which are well-to-do and factory work. So worker bees and queen bees. And people potentially don't like the idea of like, well, you're dividing America well, it's socioeconomically. It's very difficult to have 400 million queen bees, you know, and that's how sure. many queen bees we have. But, but you would take, you would take an industry that you can't stop. We, yeah. Like, what are we going to do? No, yeah. We've, we've done everything. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, is, you know, for, for people to morally say, well, America's not in the business of creating narcotics trade. Bullshit. Look at Afghanistan production yeah. since our occupation there of heroin. Yeah. The production, the world production of heroin is something like 93% now. This is a Joe Rogan podcast site, by the way. But it was like 5% of the world's opium, and now it's 93% of the world's opium since we, we took over and, and started Wait, conflict it, there. The U.S. it? Afghanistan? Afghanistan oh, is 93% of the world's production wow. since U.S. military occupation. Which tells you something's going We're on. fucking yeah, making yeah, opium yeah, over yeah, there yeah, is yeah. what we're doing. And, yeah. we're, and we're putting it in prescription drugs over here. Yeah, and yeah, we are yeah. already dealing drugs in the United States economy. Oh, we're hugely. Doing it under the labels of Pfizer yeah. and the, yeah. you know, these other big companies. Well, the thing that I think it's amazing about the whole drug question in this country is that if you want to talk about something that unites socialists and libertarians and pretty much everybody that's not the establishment it's that the the drug war and the campaign against drugs and all that stuff is ludicrous it's It's absurd it's completely insane that we have this whole system to put nonviolent criminals uh into prison and to punish them for we have this whole system that fucks millions of americans which is where i totally believe the war on drugs was about putting poor black people in jail dude, it was dude. about morally what preventing else could people you believe from, no, right. I, I, so i used to work at the uh, district attorney's office in manhattan i was in the homicide unit and the way that murder investigations work in homicide i've, I've watched the first 48 i know <laughs> yeah. we no, listen, the way the way that fucking homicide it. investigations work in this day and age is somebody gets killed in the hood a bunch of people from the DA's office send undercover agents with cameras in to buy crack. Right. So they'll buy like literally two ounces of crack, which is A1 felony weight, 20 years in prison. Right. By the way, the same amount of cocaine is like what, a year? Well, it's actually not true. That's a a fallacy. But uh, because actually crack cocaine is much more potent than than powder cocaine. I've done neither, so I couldn't tell you. Yeah, but (laughs) anyway. um, Ugh. You you buy all this coke, and then in the middle of the night, you do a takedown, and these are all like 16, 17-year-old kids. You arrest all of them in their houses in the middle of the night and drag them into the fucking thing. You show them on camera selling crack, and you say, that's 20 years in prison. Your life is fucking over. Or you, you testify who... against who killed this fucking guy. Right. And nine out of the 10 people do not flip. Yeah. And they go to jail for the rest of their fucking life. Right. I used to see this in action, dude. I used to see the guys getting shown the videos and they would just fucking lose their minds. They'd start like throwing shit around because, I mean, imagine that. Your life's fucking over. Yeah. You're 18. You're done. That's yeah. absurd. You're a 40-year-old man. And that's for selling a little bit of yeah, powder in a fucking bag. Which is I absurd. I mean, that's yeah. insane. Yeah. It's, we, the, the, idea, the idea that we put people in prison for multiple year sentences over selling drugs in a nonviolent yeah. situation. It should be like two years. Well, it's and, and here's a, and it so shouldn't here's be anything. We shouldn't be putting people in prison for selling drugs. Like, period. If they're not committing violent crimes, fuck it. You know, it's, well, I don't know why we're policing this. It's, it's By the way, so like if we're really cutting into the core of what those things are, why is it okay for a doctor to prescribe it to you? And a pharmacist to sell it to you. But that's my point. Because a corporation is making money from it. That's right. Because somebody has money to interest. But I'm telling you, you could do the same thing with cheaper drugs on a bigger scale where there's already a marketplace. Yeah. 
And, and it's just somebody has to have the balls to do it. It's an interesting thing uh, for everybody to be up in arms about this Trump immigration ban. But what happens if he follows it up and says, listen, we're cutting down the number of immigrants because we're about to release 30,000 nonviolent drug offenders from our American prisons back into the population? Yeah, yeah. People would go, I guess we'll shut the fuck up then because we yeah. were, you know, he's saying, listen, we can't leave that faucet on and then turn this one on. So we're yeah. turning this. And people don't ever stop to think that perhaps that might be part of the long plan. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're, 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 that could be a thing where he's saying, listen, I'm going to take away this whole system of putting poor people in prison to yeah. keep them off the streets and out of our economy. And I'm going to, you know, and maybe I, we should give them jobs. I can say 30 grand. Correct, them in jail, I'll predict yeah. that that will not happen. Like, but I'm saying I'm playing devil's yeah. advocate. Yes. Nobody ever considers that that's no. part of the, the grand scheme. But of I, I would I would put money on that. And, and you know what? But here's the thing. But you know what you don't have on Trump that you've had on every sitting president and every politician for the re for all of history up until now? A voting record. Right. So you don't have any fucking idea what he's trying to do. All I'll say is the fact that one of the first things on his list when he came in was to impose term limits. I thought. America accidentally elected a libertarian. Yeah, well, in a way, in a way. So yeah, you yeah. brought in a guy who's going, I'm going to impose term limits and get co corruption out. Now, the problem is the system is going to prevent that from happening because yeah. the other two branches of government aren't going to allow it. Well, it's literally freaking out. I mean, it's breaking down. It's like that moment in fucking Armageddon where the asteroid starts going crazy and he goes, it's because they know we're here to kill it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. that's, like the system is fucking palpitating right now because there's somebody in there that is truly there to fuck it up but i mean maybe yeah. he's going to turn into a fucking nazi ss regime i mean i don't know but he is there to destroy the system i would believe that if he wasn't allied with the people that that he's allied he's got to have who do you I mean, want him to have in there fucking theory, Amoroso? like who is who's he gonna pick besides th these people you your know? theory about him picking a non-ivy league supreme court justice yeah, is already out the true. fucking window I, so I was, I was disappointed you're you're although you needed an originalist see here you go now now all of a sudden it's okay you're like, right no i was i was wrong about that he yeah. almost put a two-lane guy in there yeah it's not of he course it's gonna be yeah guy he's not i i just don't believe this i I don't believe this narrative that sometimes emerges that he's this separate uh, track person. He's just he's just in with Republicans. He's doing Republican shit. You know. Well, so far he's only done what he committed to to the electorate that got him. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. He hasn't brought in anything new that he didn't promise in the. Well, that, uh, that's the not my. That's that's not so much that it is is this I, this idea that people like Isaac a lot of intellectuals that promoted Trump kind of had this narrative that Trump would sneak in. Oh, he's going to do a much more socialist health plan, which, you know, that's just insanity. To think we'll that's see. Gonna happen. I, I, I'm believe flattered me, that we'll, I'm an intellectual. We'll come back and talk about it. <laughs> Isaac's big thing that was that he was going to appoint a Supreme Court justice from, like, uh, not an Ivy League school, and we'd kind of he break He almost did. He was on the top three. Yeah, but he didn't. Come on. I know. It's, yeah. So, but in a way, I will also say this. If Trump is the worst president that we've ever had then he's also the best president that we've ever had <laughs> and i will say it because of this if it is so bad that it makes the american population far more into who their leaders are then he's the best president i can't argue with had. that yeah. i can't argue it with the best president so he's changed he, it is impossible by that standard for him to fail yes because he'll either do all the right things that are against what politicians have done historically, or he will make everyone so much more socially conscious that in four years we have the highest voter turnout you've ever seen in the history find, of the listen, United States. You're not going to find an argument with me on I that. I mean, point. unless right? he's I mean, a Julius Caesar, which is like he's the sort of death knell of, of the entire American experiment, which is, I think, a lot of people's fear. You know, Julius Caesar was the demagogue who came in the final you know, years yeah. of Rome before My, it was, you know, he's a signal of the end. The worst know? thing he can do is be the status quo because then the pendulum's going to shift so far the other way that you are going to have somebody... You, If you thought Bernie was socialist, wait till you see who goes in next. Yeah. I mean, it will be, it, it will be reforming the United States in the image of what people on the far left want, which is... A, essentially a totalitarian government of if you aren't with this then there's you can leave then you're yeah you which is kind of out. what everybody's afraid of and i do this joke now on stage where i talk about like 
You want to talk about white privilege. There's nothing more white privilege than protesting a hypothetical future that hasn't happened. Yet. <laughs> so people in the streets bitching about Trump doing things that hasn't happened yet is the most white privilege yeah. thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> protesting about the, a hypothetical the, future. The potential that women's rights could one day be infringed. Yeah. How dare you even consider the notion? You know, I, I got to tell you, like uh, growing up on a on a sort of north south border, literally the Mason Dixon in Delaware, the time I spent there, if you were to talk to some of the old black people I grew up with about people marching for their freedoms, they'd be like, "Are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah. You don't have freedoms." Yeah, what do you like, think? I was yeah, doing. well, you know what you can do while they're deciding what to do with your unborn fetus is you can drink from the same water fountains <laughs> as everyone else. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, Josh, where okay. can people find you online? What are your, uh, uh... you can find me at Josh Denny comedy.com, yep. uh, at Josh Denny on Twitter, on Instagram, and then Josh Denny official on Facebook. And do you have a podcast yourself called March of the yeah, Pigs? Yeah, March of the Pigs, uh, where I bring people on and talk about food. And in the meantime, it's just been these bike companion podcasts where we recap, uh, episodes of of um ginormous food and then we also you and i also have a new podcast with yes. uh, adam uh, that's the darkest hour and i got news for you on that too oh, so. good. but they can find that over at unpops.com nice and that's awesome. a paywall that right that's a paywall. yeah that's a pay oh, well i think so i think some of the darkest hour episodes are going to be free but you know at least like 10 episodes or something a week are free they do so many podcasts or maybe I know, it's, it's so hard to navigate it's two side. of the two of the 10 are free every week and they rotate which ones are the free ones so people can kind of hear a little bit of everything yeah we gotta but. get in on that that paywall racket? Yeah, the yeah. paywall racket. You and me both. I'm like, I'm, I was literally looking at, yeah, I got a little bit of money now from the show, and I'm like, how much do I want to be a podcaster? Like, do I want to be, uh, you know, I, right now I use two handy recorders yeah. with, with lavalier mics to record, and then I, but there's a lot of post involved in doing it that way. And then I'm, so I'm looking at like ways to make it more efficient. And then there's this variation where I spend a couple thousand bucks and I have a, a decent setup. And then there's a variation where I build a fucking studio and I spend 12 grand and I'm like, I got to find something that's neither of those things. Yeah. I think you got to scale. You got to yeah. get something you can scale up. That's yeah, exactly. The, that's the goal. Well, ideally I would like to just have a studio like, you know, Rogan has and just have people in to do them whenever. Yeah. You know what I like watching is you two enjoying each other so much oh, it's been just enjoying each other yeah just enjoying yeah. each other's <laughs> thoughts you know what doesn't surprise me that you would like to watch two guys do that charles <laughs> no, no. no that would be my nightmare you two <laughs> two <laughs> men enjoying each other that is i like to watch that yeah no shock there charles no shock there Sit down.